What is happening, my peoples? Welcome to the Foundry Church, where we are all about a better you and a better world. My name is Seth. I will be the party captain for the morning. It's good to see all of you. Hey, Seth, we're glad to be here. Thanks. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Yeah. I mean, like, some of you haven't been here for, like, months, so cool. Nice. Um, it's good. It's good. I like to see your smiling faces. Um, we are in week nine of a series that we're calling A Better Way. We've been going through this for quite a while now. Today, we will cover the last kind of two Beatitudes, and then next week, we're going to get into, we'll like kind of wrap everything up with this conversation about salt and light, and hopefully, we'll put like a bow on this whole message series. And then the following week, we will begin a whole new series called Think Happy happy thoughts, which I'm excited about um, <laughs> because I feel like we could use some encouragement as we push towards the end of the year 2020 that is the craziness of our lives, because I'm sure after Christmas, it's all going to be better. Um, actually, I think our Christmas series might be called A 2020 Christmas, and it's going to be like a Christmas tree on fire that fell over. I think, it's, I think that's got some potential. So uh, last week we talked about blessed are the peacemakers. This week we're going to move on to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, which says this, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, my question is, have you ever been persecuted because of your faith? Have you ever been talked poorly about, badly about, somebody said something mean about you, treated you differently because of something that you believe? I have. I have faced the sting of persecution in my life. For example, when I was uh, early high school, I was a part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. You know this? I played sports growing up, and so I was a part of this group for a little bit. And then I was a part of like my youth group at church, and so that was a big part of my life. My dad was a pastor. And then on, uh, they would have these things called See You at the Pole. Do you remember these? These big movements. The kids, the youth group would gather around the flagpole at the schools, and we'd pray over the country and our principals and our students and everything at the school. I was a part of all of that. And so most of the people in my school and in my area knew that I had some sort of faith connection, you know, in a, in a, a large sort of way that I was a Christian. And so there was a particular girl that I had my eye on. And after a couple weeks of mustering up the courage, I decided to ask her out. This was a big deal for me because I, I don't do well in those situations, actually. And so when I got the courage, I finally you know, found her. I had the time to talk to her. I asked her out, and she said, I don't date goody-goodies. And then the knife went deep into my heart, and I had to pull it out, the sting of rejection, because I was some sort of goody-goody in her eyes. It's heavy persecution. Heavy persecution. Yeah, I know. I know. Feel bad, please. And then, so uh, also, because like around, you know, 12, 13, I was growing up in the church, and uh, one of the things that I had committed myself to, committed to God, was that I would stay pure to myself, to my future wife until marriage. I made that commitment. And so from the years of like 13 to like 28... I maintained that conviction and that, 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 that stuff there, um, which meant that anytime I was allowed around a large group of dudes, 
that became an issue, and I faced the ridicule. So if you're on the soccer team in high school, the conversation is a lot about things that dudes are up to, and when you're not up to the same thing the dudes are up to, you get some pushback. Or when I was touring, and I was with all these bands, and the object of the bands oftentimes is to be about those things, and when you're not about those things, you get ridiculed. Or for if I, when I was working construction, the construction crew I was on was relentless about what I didn't do. Major persecution, major persecution. The sting, it, it cuts me deep in my heart. Now, you may have an exception and you may have experienced something like this along the way, but the reality is most of us in America, in the South, it's not really much persecution, is there? Uh, maybe we're talked bad about, maybe somebody doesn't like us, maybe something, but not like what was happening in the time of Jesus. Compared to the time and place where Jesus is actually giving this message, like it's very minuscule for what we face and what we deal with. I'm pretty sure my stuff doesn't even fall in the category of persecution. It falls in the category of like, suck it up, you cry baby. You know, like it's not a big deal at all. You have to remember, when, when, you, when you consider the time and place of Jesus, the Romans took over Israel like 63 years before the time of Jesus. Then uh, you have this Jesus come along and he begins to teach these things and he develops this following of these people called Christians and it creates this movement and this movement of Christians kind of now because of how they choose to live stand at odds with the Roman government. And then in something like 64 CE, AD, whatever you want to call it, 64 years after the birth of Christ, you have uh, this great fire in Rome. Uh, under the emperor, emperor Nero, and so Nero then begins to directly persecute the Christians, and, and it becomes like they're the target of this whole thing. Now, uh, this persecution was pretty, pretty intense along the way. Um, in fact, in, in, the com in William Barclay's commentary on this passage, he talks about the persecution. I want to show you some of this. Um, I, I've cut some bits out of this because it's like church. Um, and it's Sunday at like 10.30. So this is like the more mild stuff. But I want to show you, as we're talking about persecution and Jesus saying, blessed are the per persecuted, let me show you like what they might have been dealing with. Okay? Take a look at this. All of the world knows of the Christians who were flung to the lions or burned at the stake. But these were kindly deaths, obviously. Remember that time you got attacked by the lion? Wasn't that so sweet of them? Uh, Nero wrapped the Christians in pitch and set them alight and used them as, a, as living torches to light his gardens. He sewed them in skins of wild animals and set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. It keeps going. They were tortured on the rack. The dot, dot, dot is the stuff I took out. You're welcome. Eyes were torn, torn out, parts of bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured over them to lengthen the agony. These are not pleasant things to think about, but these are things that a man had to be prepared for if he took his stand with Christ. Yeah, but she didn't want to date me because she thought it was a goody-goody. Like, what do we know of persecution? Have, have you ever wondered why it is that the Christians were being persecuted in the first place? 
I mean, like, what was, what was the thing that was really causing people to have issue with them? Aside from, like, the Nero stuff where he directly blamed them. Like, what was, why, why was that even a thing? When you look at the, the life and the teachings of Jesus, I mean, yeah, we've been talking this whole series about his teachings would have been countercultural. His teachings would have ruffled the feathers of the religious and the, 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 the Roman Empire, the establishments that are in place. But if the summary of his teachings are like, love God and, and love people, what is there to like be mad at? What is there to persecute? Love God, take care of others. Love God, take care of the widows, the orphans, the marginalized, the lepers. I can't believe those terrible people. You guys stop helping others. You know what, that group of people is really showing a bunch of love to these people, we should go after them. If I see you help another homeless person, I'm gonna burn you at the stake. Like, why, why was this even a thing? Well, there's a, there's a bunch of different reasons. A couple of the main things. Uh, a big component of, of it had to do with basically misrepresentation, misinterpretation, uh, and slander towards the Christians. Some of it was just misunderstanding. Some of it was like direct slander by the Jewish people who did not believe that Christ would be, is the Messiah, and so they didn't want this religion to prosper. So for example, uh, word began to spread around the kingdom, around, around the country, that this new group of followers, of Christ followers, this Christian religion, this, this whatever it was, was at the time, that they were cannibals. That they practice cannibalism. Why? Well, because their leader, this Jesus guy, had this meal with these people in which he said, eat this blood, or eat this body, drink this blood. And then so that kind of got like passed around town that, you, that the Christians were like sacrificing children and eating the flesh of children to connect to their God. Yeah, that, that might cause some issues for you, you know? Uh, and then, of course, they had, the Christians would have these weekly gatherings uh, 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 to get together and eat, feast, that they would call agape feasts. Agape, of course, meaning like unconditional love, love at its greatest levels. And so the word began to spread that these Christians were getting together and having love feasts, right? And by love, we mean you know what we mean. So they're getting together each week and having all these people gathering together and having a big love feast. So they began to get accused of like immoral practices. Like what are they doing? Like that's not how things, things go. And then on top of that, they have the, the opposition of the Christians. They have further evidence when, when they hear things like, or when they see things like the Bible says like, greet each other with a holy kiss. So okay, so if I don't know who the Christians are and I see these people hanging out and they just walk up to each other in town and like kiss each other, and then I know they're going to a love, a love feast later, right? Like it's a bit suspicious, the whole thing is. So this word begins to spread. And then on top of that, they were accused of, of stirring up conflict in, in, the, in their areas about being a bit incendiary because their language and what they talked about was like a whole new world and a whole new kingdom that this world would come to an end and there would be something else after it. That would be a bit startling. And then, of course, they were accused of like uh, splitting and dividing families, tempering, uh, tampering with the fabric of community that is the family because Jesus would say things like brothers will turn against brothers. And so if I'm on the outside of this Christian community and I'm just getting like little bits and pieces, I'm just hearing these little things from, well, Jimmy said this about them, whatever. I don't, they, nobody was probably called Jimmy in Israel, but you know. So if I'm just getting these little bits and pieces of stuff from around town or like secondhand, thirdhand information, 
I might be a bit suspicious of this new religion as well. They do what? They eat children? They have love fests? Feasts? They, they are like going to end this world and create a new one? They're dividing? Like, yeah, I could, I could see how that might cause some problems, right? Maybe that had something to do with it. The other big, big thing, the, even, even the bigger thing than the slander, the misunderstanding, I think was the political component of the whole thing, right? If you, if you think about what's happening, you have the Roman Empire who's taking over the known world. So they get bigger, they get more power. The, the bigger they get, the more power they get, the more problems they have. And so their, their struggle then becomes, if you're Rome, how do we keep this whole thing like united? How do we keep the, this thing as one? You've got all these different people, all these different nations, all these different religions. How do we unite them into, under the Roman banner? How do we keep them together? Now, the quick version of this, like their answer, their response, essentially had to do with focusing on the one who personified the empire, right? So we're talking about the emperor. So these stories began to be developed and then passed around about how there was a divine nature to the emperors, to the Caesars, that they had this divine nature. In fact, in 42 BC, the Roman Senate formally conferred upon Julius Caesar divine status. So Caesar, Julius Caesar becomes divine, and then his successor, his adopted son Octavian, who becomes Caesar Augustus, when he steps into power, his dad, Julius Caesar, is this divine being. He is now the son of this divine being, and so now Caesar Augustus is now referred to as the son of God. So the Caesars had these divine honors that were to be paid tribute to them in the hopes of creating a unity within the kingdom. So as this develops over time, as it begins to spread, it moves from like titles and accolades, just like that's who they are, eventually it gets to the place of outright emperor worship. And it's the worship of the emperor that became the thing that they were attempting to use to unite the country in one nation, one Roman empire under God, under Caesar. So it moved from like this voluntary tribute to the, to the empire to this mandatory worship of the emperor. In fact, it was at, at one time it became required that every person in the empire had to go uh, once a year and pay tribute to Caesar at, this, uh, like a, a, at an altar to Caesar. They had to burn incense in his name and then they had to proclaim publicly, Caesar is Lord. And then if you did that, you would be handed a certificate, and then once you received the certificate, then you could go worship any other god you liked. But your priority, first and foremost, had to be the acknowledgement of the emperor, of Caesar. There was also other requirements, for example, in like a town um, like Ephesus. Okay, so in the town of Ephesus, in order to enter the city, you had to go through the city gates. Well, in order to enter the city gates, you had to pay tribute to Caesar. And then if you were going like to the public market or something, maybe you were going to sell your goods, buy some stuff, in order to participate in the day-to-day -day commerce, you also had to pay tribute to Caesar. So you would go to the altar of Caesar, and then you would light some incense, and you would uh, announce Caesar as Lord there. Or if you were there and you wanted to get a drink from a public water fountain, you had to acknowledge Caesar as being the provider of life. Now, 
as the Roman Empire began to grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger, it got so big and so fat and so vast that they could not afford any sort of disloyalty or dissent or disunity within the empire. Then comes along this guy, this Jewish peasant who becomes a rabbi named Jesus, and he begins these particular teachings, and then people began to claim that he is the son of God. And people say things about him like, he is the king of the Jews. Or people are saying things like, Jesus is Lord. So you can see how early on, the Christians would have been at odds with the empire. They, they would have been an affront to the Roman government. So to take up the banner of Christ, to become a Christ follower in the first century, meant that you were going to risk or be willing to give up nearly everything. If you were a Jew who became a Christian, you're putting yourself at odds with like your family, your, your tribe, your, the, the, the deep-rooted history of your belief systems. If you're a Gentile who becomes a Christian, you're putting yourself at odds with the people, with your religious upbringing, you're putting yourself at odds with the government, with the Roman Empire. To call Jesus Lord meant that you had to choose Jesus and the ways of Jesus over the government of Rome. So this is kind of a big deal. This is kind of a big deal because in order to participate in this culture and in that society, you had to first prioritize that empire. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And so Jesus here, Jesus, he's pretty upfront about everything. Like, if you do this, there will be persecution. You know, there are a lot of benefits that come from being a part of the empire. You, you can experience all these things. Like, in order to run your business, to participate in the commerce of the day, you have to acknowledge that Caesar is, in fact, Lord. You have to applaud the empire so that you can now provide for your family. There are a lot of benefits of being a part of the empire, but they can only be had if your allegiance is first and foremost to the empire. So the early Christians... They had to decide, who were they going to put their faith and their trust in? Would they put their faith and their trust in their government, in the empire? Or would they put their faith and their trust in this God who is love, who became man to liberate us from the trappings of this world, to lead us out of the slavery of the empire, to bring us into this new and final exodus, to teach us a better way. They had to choose. Who, where is my allegiance first and foremost? It's way different back then than it is now. It's not, in case you were wondering. In these Beatitudes, Jesus is saying that if you're going to live the life that he's inviting you to, you will more than likely end up on the outside of the majority. Culture says, be strong, be strong, be strong, be strong. Jesus says, oh, blessed are the gentle. Culture says, justice, 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 justice. Jesus says, blessed are those who show mercy. Culture says, fight, 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 fight. Jesus says, blessed are those who actively make peace. Culture says everything is about you and getting more and getting more and growing. And, and Jesus says, yeah, but blessed are the poor and the poor in spirit. 
You see, if you follow the ways of Jesus, you will surely find yourselves at, odd, at odds with the empire, with how it works, with how it functions, with what it believes to be normal. Quick side note, I wanna give you a quick side note, and then I wanna tell you about a guy named Shane, and then I wanna look at the end of the first part of this last part, and that might be something interesting. Okay, quick side note. Sometimes these verses, blessed are the persecuted, um, they get used by Christians in a ways that I don't think were ever intended to be used. Uh, for example, uh, we treat them as like a badge of courage and honor sometimes when I don't think that that's what it was supposed to be. Uh, there was a lady at a church that I used to go to some years ago, and she was a lady, because uh, I was working at the church, she was a lady who I learned very quickly was a bit rude just in general. <laughs> and so I learned, for me personally, it was, she was the type of lady that was better for me to love at a distance. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's great. Let's see you over there. But occasionally I would be walking by her in church and I would hear her talking or occasionally she would trap me and get me stuck in a corner and I couldn't get out and then she would talk at me and all that stuff. One time she was telling this story about how she was at the grocery store and she got into this back and forth with the checkout lady. And she just couldn't believe that this lady was treating her this way and she felt like she was being uh, you know, mistreated and like, the lady wasn't being kind. And so I was just listening to her go on and on and on. And I'm thinking, lady, you, under you haven't realized that she's not the problem, but that's... So I just let her go on and on. And, and she ended that story with, well, you know, blessed are the persecuted. And I was like, wait, wait, wait a second. Excuse me. Wait, you're the persecuted one in that situation? That's, that's the thing. I'm like, I, and I know this lady because she was, she was very negative, very rude all the time. Uh, but if you notice at this verse, I want to show you this verse. It says, blessed are the persecuted, right? For theirs is the kingdom. And then it says, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The big word here to me is the word falsely. <laughs> the big word is falsely. It's one thing if you're a first century Christian and you're being accused of cannibalism even though all you're eating is bread and juice, right? That's one thing. You're taking this communion meal. It's a whole other thing if you're actually just being a jerk, if you're just being a jerk, uh, if you're just being a jerk and you're being judgy and super critical and negative towards others and you're wrapping it in some sort of Bible clothing, then it isn't falsely. The reason you got into the conflict with the lady at the grocery store wasn't because of Jesus and it wasn't because you were being kind and loving and nurturing to other people. It wasn't because they misunderstood your acts of love. It was because you were being rude and unloving. You deserve the insult. Forgive me for venting, I apologize. I wanna slow down, let's move on, let's get past that. Thank you for letting me get that out a little bit. I'm not still carrying it, obviously. <laughs> but I mean, do you know those kind of people? We're like, no, 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 you, the whole thing is like falsely. You're being rude, you're being unloving, unkind. Stop being a jerk, and maybe they'll stop being a jerk back to you. Oh, by the way, there's this verse before that says, blessed are the peacemakers, which has to do with actually, be actively making peace. I wonder if those two tie together. That's a different sermon, I guess. So let's talk about Shane Claiborne, because that's more fun. There's this guy named Shane, Shane Claiborne. Are you familiar with him? He's, uh, he's, like, a, he's like a Jesus activist. 
He's, he's pretty awesome. Uh, in uh, the early 2000s, he started this nonprofit called The Simple Way. They're, they operate out of Philly. They're like in a rough part of Philly. And so him and some buddies bought like a, a low-income house, a row house, and they moved in there and they began to create community. That was their whole, their whole point. Their whole like push was to create intentional community based on the love of Jesus. So they moved in there, they began to like refurbish the, the, the block that they were living on. They began to plant community gardens in vacant, uh, in, in vacant city blocks. They began to engage people, they began to feed the homeless, uh, take, care of the, take care of the poor. They began to teach people and show people the love of Jesus. And it's just this beautiful thing that over the years has begun to grow and grow and grow. So Shane, um, <laughs> in his life, he, he <laughs> I, I read this the other day that he's, um, some people, because of how he operates, because of his Jesus activism, it's actually caused him to be in trouble like with the law from time to time. Uh, and he's earned this nickname, uh, kind of an accolade, as being known as a holy troublemaker, which I thought was a great title. Like, I want a business card that says holy troublemaker. I got to get braver, though. That's the thing. Uh, holy troublemaker. So... Because he's always, he's, he's operating first and foremost according to the laws and the teachings of Jesus, he finds himself at odds with culture. So they embrace these beatitudes in this deep sort of way, right? And so in everything he does, he's essentially refusing to say that Caesar is Lord. He elevates and lives the instructions of Jesus over the law of the land, and it's got him in trouble. For example, uh, he's a big... Um, proponent of, of uh, getting rid of the death penalty. So in Pennsylvania, there was, a, um, there was a moment where they had a few guys that were about to be executed, and so he went to the governor's house and chained himself to the governor's house to, like, protest the executions, at which point he got arrested. Uh, there was a few times, he's been arrested, like, 15 times in, in Philly because uh, the, the rules of uh, the law in Philadelphia concerning public parks is you can't stay in the park overnight and you can't uh, distribute food in the parks publicly. And so he would intentionally host sleepouts and campouts in the park and then feed the homeless while he was in the park. And so he just kept getting arrested time and time again. But what he's trying to do is expose, like, like hey, there's, like, this is the better, we're trying to actually help the people. And by just making rules that say you can't be here, that's not super helpful. So he's trying to expose these things. Or there was one time where, uh, during the war in Iraq, he went with a group of doctors to help, uh, he went to some of the places that had been, you know, uh, hit by the war. So they took a bunch of medicine and some medical supplies to Iraq to help some people. In doing so, they broke certain U.S. sanctions that said they weren't allowed to take medical supplies to Iraq. So when they got back, they were arrested, and then they were put on trial for taking medicine to Iraq. So you've got all these doctors who are volunteering their time, their efforts, their supplies, doing this on their own dime, and then they're arrested, and they're faced with 12 years in prison because they went to help people in need, because it broke the U.S. sanctions. Right now, the... the the good part is none of them went to jail. The funny part to me is that they were charged, um, they had a $20,000 fine set against them, but they were allowed to pay it in the, in the Iraqi dinar, I believe it's called. And so that $20,000 US came out to about eight. And then they were, they were set free, set to go on their way. You see, Shane lives in this way that elevates the teachings of Jesus to such a degree that it often stands against Caesar. It often stands against 
the laws of the land. In the, in the funnier bits of, of his story so far, at least that I found funny, is that uh, all this stuff that he's doing, he's helping, he's feeding the poor, he's moving in these towns, like helping to elevate humanity in general, it's all based around the central teachings of Jesus to love each other as yourself, to love your enemy. It's all centered and deeply focused around the teachings of Jesus. And so at one point during one of his arrests, one of his sentences, <laughs> one of his sentencings was that he had to go to citizenship training courses in order to learn how to abide by the law, to be a proper citizen. That's funny, right? Like maybe the question for us is like, whose law are you more concerned with abiding? Blessed are the persecuted for they, uh, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the earthly kingdoms, they operate differently than the kingdom of heaven. Earthly kingdoms have different priorities than the kingdom of heaven. They have different values than the kingdom of heaven. Justice, mercy are viewed differently. People are treated and valued differently. The reality is, when you operate according to the kingdom of heaven, it's quite possible that you will find yourself at odds with the kingdoms of earth that we find ourselves living in. And when you are at odds with the kingdoms of earth that we are living in, or when you don't align yourself with those values and those priorities, the odds are that there will be some sort of tension or friction or pain or rejection or persecution that you will face. You see, because anytime you go against the flow of the culture, against the flow of the current of culture, you will feel the current of that culture pressing against you. And maybe the, like the bigger, like the more difficult question for us is like, if, if we aren't feeling any current against us, or if everything is really tilted in our favor, or everything is working in our direction, or the odds are ever in our favor, like, which kingdom are we a, a part of? Which one are we actually pursuing? Now, one last thing, uh, uh, one last thing, unless there's another last thing, but I think it's just one. I want to look at the end of the first part, the last part of the first part. Uh, it says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've been going through this series. We're like nine weeks in. We've been going each week over a particular beatitude. We've looked at the, those who mourn will be comforted. We've looked at those uh, um, who, who are merciful will be shown mercy. We looked at those who will, uh, are peacemakers will be called the children of God. And then you have this one, theirs is the kingdom. Out of all the, all the ones we've looked at so far, there's only one other phrase, one other blessed, one other beatitude that carries that second part, theirs is the kingdom. It takes us back to the very first one, blessed are the poor and the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. This to me is, is kind of interesting 
Right? So in, in the first one, blessed are the poor and poor in spirit, remember we talked about this and we've referenced it almost like every week. We connected it to this idea of attachment and detachment. That when, like in this world, in this life, we have the, the tendency to attach to the self, to the ego, to the pride. We have the tendency to attach to the things, the materialness of this world. And so maybe there's this idea that when we detach from the self, the ego, the pride, when we detach from the things of this world, from the stuff, from the, the, from the desires of the material, then it actually allows us to step into the kingdom of God in the here and now. And so that phrase, theirs is the kingdom, is one that speaks to a present reality, not a future promise. It's about something that's happening in the here and now. And so my question, my thought, my wondering is, is it possible that Jesus is making a really interesting connection here? In the first one, it's that we have these attachments of the self and the stuff, and only when we let go of these things as priorities can we then experience the kingdom of heaven in the here and now. And then this last one, blessed are the righteous, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, is it possible that we have these attachments to the cultures that we find ourselves living in? We have these attachments to how things are, and it's only when we let go of these things as our priorities that then we can step into the kingdom. That when we let go of the ways of our culture and our systems and our worldviews that we think we have the stuff together, that when we let go of that, that we are able to experience the kingdom of heaven in the here and now. And so is it possible that after we go through this list of announcements, by the way, that's what these Beatitudes are. These aren't instructions for like step A, step B, step C to a, a different life. These are like proclamations about what it looks like to actually be free. So he starts with blessed are the poor and, poor and the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. And then he ends with blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom. Is it possible that these two at the top and bottom of this list, that if we actually carry these out, if we actually move in this direction, what it does is it allows us to let go of absolutely everything that we use to identify ourselves that is not Christ for the sake of removing the self, for the sake of then opening us up to experience the kingdom in a whole new way. So if I detach from when we talk about the self, the stuff, when we talk about the culture, if I detach from those things, those things that are how I primarily identify myself, if I detach from those things, it's only then that I am free to experience and step into the kingdom that now belongs to me. You see, if the early Christians refused to acknowledge Caesar as Lord, they risk being marginalized from their community and from their society. If they refuse to acknowledge Caesar as Lord, they risk not being able to participate in the day-to-day -day commerce, which now means I, I'm going to struggle to provide for my family, which now means I might actually end up as the poor who Jesus says are blessed. It might move me to being poor, uh, to be destitute and in, in poor in spirit and, and just impoverished, but in doing so, in doing so, it allows me to experience, to gain the kingdom of heaven here. If modern Christians like Shane Claiborne choose to acknowledge Jesus as Lord above all other things, that, that he will follow the teachings of Christ over the law, over the government, over the country, then he risks being put in jail. He risks being ostracized by his culture and his community. He risks being treated and talked about like, you know, like a hippie, weirdo, freak sort of dude. He risks being on the outside of the system. And by being on the outside of the system, he risks actually moving to a place of poverty. 
But in doing so, he gains the kingdom of heaven in the here and now. Can we pull up that, Matthew, that, the, that passage again, Matthew 5, 10 through 12, please? What's, no, the second, what's the ending of it? The ending of it, let's see, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad, great is your reward in heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are treated this way because of me. See, when you let go, this bottom part ties us to the top part, and the whole thing is about when you truly let go, then you are truly free. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be quite difficult because we've grown accustomed to how things are. We like how things are. I like life. I like the life that we live. I like the country that we live in. Is it perfect? No, we know that. Could it be better? Sure, let's work towards that. But there's something deeper here that when I truly detach from self, detach from the material, and detach from like the culture, that then there is freedom. And in that freedom, I step into everything that God has in store for me. You see, so the question for us, the question for Christians, whether you're a first century Christian, second century Christian, 21st century Christian, will always be which kingdom will you prioritize? The earthly kingdoms of culture, country, self, stuff, Caesar, or the kingdom of heaven in which the fullness of life will be experienced. But it's only in the letting go of this that you can fully step into this. Who will be your priority? What will be your priority? What kingdom will you serve? Who will be your Lord? This is not the easy way, but it is the better way.